Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. Here you will find Dr. Cindy Elliser and Kat McKeever, researchers at Pacific Mammal Research, talking all about marine mammals. We will have a variety of ways to share information with you through discussing research articles and news stories, interviews with other researchers, and more. Join us to learn more about marine mammals and have some fun. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast. I'm Cindy. And I'm Kat. And this week is a journal review. And now I can't exactly remember why we ended up finding this one. I remember we were, I was doing some other research for either one of the other podcasts or something else. And I was like, oh, this paper is so cool. We should do that. Um, so that's how we found this paper. <laughs> um, but it's really cool because it's, we're talking about, I think we're talking about the the killer whales in, um, in Spain. In Spain, yeah. And the, yeah. Uh, interactions and culture and you know what's going on there um and so this came up which is uh by Pittman et al and this is humpback whales interfering when mammal eating killer whales attack other species mobbing behavior or interspecific altruism and question mark question mark yes it's it's (laughs) always interesting Uh, and this was in this is a relatively older paper it's uh, July 2016 in marine mammal science um, but it's always interesting to me when we're talking about animals and you know different species, especially high, highly intelligent social animals, um, and altruism. Like, because it's it's that's one of the things. It's like, well, only people kind of have that, or you know, it's it's one of those distinctions between people and animals. I think that um, mm-hmm. many people use. But there's evidence that it's possible, at least, that other species mm-hmm. can do it too. So that stuck out to me. Um, and since we're talking about killer whales and all the crazy stuff that's going on around the world, <laughs> killer whales, um, we thought this would be an interesting one to kind of uh, piggyback on that uh, and talk about humpbacks. So this one is a, it's a, it's a, it's a longer paper. We pulled it up and it's like 50 pages and we're like, um, <laughs> but like 22 of those is one table with all the different interactions that they, that they list. So it's, it's a relatively normal amount of, uh, of paper maybe a little bit extra but <laughs> it scared us for a second <laughs> but we'll try to we'll try to condense it for you don't worry we'll we'll summarize we'll pull out the salient points as we always do so you right. don't need to read all 55 pages if yeah unless you unless you want to um but it, and it is very interesting um but yes it, it'll so this will be a little bit more of a challenge um for us to uh to keep on track and on time but we're going to do our best <laughs> So, um, so basically, what we're talking about here is cetaceans in general. So the, the background here is that, you know, there are anecdotes of dolphins helping each other or other species, including humans, um, that are fairly common, right? Um, a lot of some myths come from that, but also are based in, in true, true stories um, that dolphins will, you know, circle a swimmer that's lost in the sea and keep sharks at bay and things like that. It's pretty, a pretty common tale. Um, but there's more evidence um, that sh- that shows that other larger cetaceans, like humpbacks, um, do too. And I was wondering here, I'm like, I wonder if this is, again, partly because we're out there more, right? A lot of the stuff we don't see because mm. we just haven't been out there looking at them, right? <clears throat> yeah, and so many of the interactions that they do discuss in this paper, which we'll get into, a lot of them are historical accounts, not necessarily contributed some of them are contributed by researchers but some of them are contributed by just other people who happen to be on the water so like you said i mean being out there 
is essential. And especially for these larger species too, I feel like, uh, you know, happening across some of these, yeah, and happening across some of these encounters is less frequent because they, they're more out to sea and it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, uh, and I think actually the majority of the accounts were from more opportunistic in terms of well mm -hmm. or fishers or things like that mm -hmm. that are out there. So mm -hmm. another great point of uh, how that kind of information is an anecdotal to some degree, because not researchers doing it, you know, um, is really important and can show us a lot of that we don't normally would be able to see. Yeah. So the um, these are they're they're basically mostly interacting with mammal eating killer whales, right? Because there's mammal eating killer whales and fish eating killer whales, and then other killer whales that eat everything, <laughs> which we'll <laughs> talk about a bit. Um, but these specifically, the majority of these encounters are. Um, are with mammal eating killer whales, which do um, eat, will eat humpback whales, right? So, um, you know, the question is why on earth would humpback whales want to intervene with, with predators that will eat them? You know, that's a good question. Hmm. Um, and what's interesting is that just briefly that the, the, they're uncertain about the impacts of marine um, mammal eating killer whales on humpback whale populations because they just haven't seen attacks that often. But, you know, is that due to the fact that almost all of the large whales were recovering from whaling and quote, most living humans have never experienced oceans that were not already depleted of large whales. So is it the fact that they don't do it or the fact that they don't do it because there's no whales to do it on? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, again, like you said, it's that are we just not seeing it mm -hmm. versus is it happening at all? So it's again, it's that same question coming up. Yeah. And I, I thought this was really interesting. I just recently read a paper um, by Jesse Morin. Uh, about forage fish stocks, uh, uh, forage fish stocks up in Canada, and basically saying that what we're basing what we should return to, like what we should recover to, was already at a ninety-nine percent depletion. Wow. Yeah. So it's the same thing as these shifting baselines where we're referencing, yeah. oh, this is what it used to be like, so plentiful, but that even that was was reduced. So yeah, the absence of evidence, as you were saying, is is not evidence, right? That it didn't mm -hmm. happen. It just means we don't see it because it can't. Um, right. And then also, I thought was interesting. Towards the end of whaling, the killer whale populations that fed on them likely had either declined, became extirpated, right, had to move somewhere else, or been forced to switch prey to alternative prey. So mm -hmm. they may also be in a state of recovery. So, <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I mean, like you said, we're kind of dealing with this very nebulous starting point where we right. really don't know what the baseline has been or is currently. Yeah. For and this type of behavior. Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was really interesting. I hadn't, I, you know, I, I get the, the large whales, but then I was like, yeah, that's right. The killer whales would have also had to adjust. So mm -hmm. like we're kind of in a state of flux. Um, but there is mounting evidence that suggests that killer whales are regularly do uh, attack humpbacks. And I had written down here, attach instead of attack. <laughs> I mean, I guess they do attach themselves when they bite, but, um, and and so, you know, this had previously, again, thought to have been rare and generally non-lethal. Um, and then the, this evidence is showing that calves and juveniles are the main targets, which makes sense. And we'll talk about that in the fact that the, the humpback whales are so large, they, they're basically um, immune, adult ones are kind of immune to um, these kind of attacks that would be lethal. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they base that information on rake mark studies that show um, that they rarely attack adults, but regularly do attack calves and juveniles mm -hmm. um, and could be a significant source of mortality. Again, we don't know because they often they'll just sink before or get eaten and we won't know. You know we don't, we're only documenting the survivors. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and so this other important aspect before we get into the, the depths of it is, um, is the fact that even regardless of the mortality, this could create what, what, what they call a landscape of fear, which can change behavior. So the threat of a mammal eating killer whale could significantly affect the behavioral decisions of the humpback whales and have potential population level consequences. So the easiest one to think about is Yellowstone where the wolves were removed and then all the elk were like, woohoo, and they had tons of babies and they took over and then all the trees started dying because the elk had had destroyed the trees from rubbing and stuff like that and that had um, ecosystem consequences. But when you, um, um, when you put the wolves back, even if the wolves weren't actively killing in that area, if the wolves were around that area, the trees were protected because the mm -hmm. elk made different decisions <laughs> to not yeah. kill the, the wolves. Um, yeah. so the, yeah, and this it has to do with the migration, right? The, the migration route that these humpback whales take and even possibly the, the reason why they migrate, um, may have to do with this kind of avoidance behavior, um, and, you know, changing how, what, how they do things because of that threat. Mm -hmm. And again, like, if you think about that as a knock on impact to the ecosystem, you know, if they're, if that's influencing their decision about where they migrate to or when they when they migrate and do these different cycles that will have a massive impact on you know the the biomass that they are feeding on themselves as well in these specific locations so exactly. actually has pretty far-reaching consequences like you said which is kind of fascinating to think about yeah and again the the whales are the um you know fertilizers of the ocean right they go up mm -hmm. and they poop and they they basically feed the plankton that they're then going to eat on again so uh, it could have, you know, larger impacts than just what the whales are doing, for sure. Um, another key thing to keep in mind when as we're going through this is that there are two basic, there's fight or flight, right, for prey. And the larger, more streamlined whales are thought, like many of the rock walls are thought to be flight, right? They can just swim faster than the orcas can. Um, but slower moving whales like humpbacks and gray whales and things like that use their bulk and powerful oversized appendages, which we'll talk much more about um to ward off attack so these guys are fighting instead of fleeing mm -hmm. um and they have been known to show group de defense behavior which we'll talk about uh and that the escorts with um oftentimes a mother and calf will be attended to by a usually male um escort where they call it an escort um, may help defend the calf as well so um so the idea is, okay, so, okay, maybe they defend themselves. Okay, well, that makes sense, right? You're defending your calf or yourself or whatever from being eaten. But what they're showing is that they may actually interfere with the attacks and actually go into danger, like firefighters rushing into a fire. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and not even for their own species. So why is the is the main question. Right. Um, Pretty and cool. So, yeah, it's 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 very interesting. Um, and so that's where this study came from. So they are looking at that, like, okay, well, they actually do interfere. So let's look at all these interactions. Who who went to who? You know, who was the instigator? Who approached the other, uh, if it's known? Um, and the power of this study, again, as Kat said earlier, comes from the fact that and I and um, that we're on the water more and we're taking not just research information. We're taking it from people who are out there on the water more often than a lot of times the researchers, those um, whale watchers and, and other boats that are out there all the time. Mm -hmm. So um, with that, the, the methods, um, it's, they, they did a, a long time. <laughs> they looked at observations over 62 years from 1951 to 2012, 
with 40, 54 different observers from around the world. Um, the majority of them were up in the Pacific, in the, in the North kind of Pacific, Northwest, the Eastern Pacific area. Um, but they were opportunistic from passengers or naturalists on whale watch boats, researchers studying killer whales or humpback whales. These are mostly photo ID studies, long-term photo ID studies. Um, and so there is variance in accuracy of detail and in interpretation. And so what I, I like that they did is that in, in the table and the appendix that they, uh, supplementary material that you could download, uh, they left basically all the accounts as is, like literal, trend, you know, just writing down what the people said. Um, with some, some parts in brackets that are, you know, to clarify what was meant or whatnot. But it was, I think it's good that they left it as it was so that you can see what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, so they they did have to clarify which ecotype. Um, and so basically they, there's the, the mammal eaters, the fish eaters. Um, mammal eater killer whales were ID um, if in the appendix, that thing, they said that there were transients, right? So transients are big killer whales or is usually the denomination that is used for mammal eaters. Um, if they were attacking marine mammal during an observation, so that seems obvious, or if, it, if an attack occurred in tropical or subtropical waters. This is because in, in more northern or colder, um, colder waters, southern or northern, um, they, killer whales tend to have a more specific diet. Um, mm -hmm. like here we have our fish eaters only eat fish. We have our mammal eaters only eat mammals. And then we have the offshores that eat sharks and, and, and elasma branks and they don't really mix. But in the tropical waters, I think because there's just, there's not as much there, it's, it's less uh, nutriently rich. Uh, they have unspecialized diets that include marine mammals. So, and, um, I remember hearing about one in the Eastern Bahamas off of Abacos, they followed a Caribbean killer whale for a day and saw them eat five different species. Wow. In one day. Which again, even saying Caribbean killer whale, you're like, what? That exists? Right. <laughs> well, and that's so timely. The They also just, uh, someone just had a video from Key Largo of a killer whale. Um, oh, that, wow. Yeah. Did you not see that? Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah, it's on Facebook now. They um, it's a, came real close to the boat, and so everybody's like, "Oh my God, they're in Key Largo!" It's like, well, wow, yeah, they're not there all the time, but it's probably part of that Caribbean bunch that just you know took a walkabout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. So, yeah, pretty cool. So, um, um, then they broke down basically who was the interactor, you know, who was the initiator, who went? Did the humpbacks go to the to the attack, or did the killer whales go to the humpback whales? Um. Were they tests or attacks? So testing would be like a brief pass, like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I don't care. Okay, I'm leaving. Or attacks were longer direct contact uh, between the two species. Um, they tried to know if, they, if their humpback whale calf was present or not, because that is important probably uh, mainly for if they're, uh, the killer whales are attacking. Um, the sex of different uh, of either species was determined either by genetics, if they were doing biopsy darting at the time, um, observation of the genital slits uh, and or if the mother was close with a calf, it's pretty obvious that she's a girl. Mm -hmm. um, the escort was defined as a male with a, with a cow-calf pair. Um, and this is interesting because it was previously thought that escorts were only during um, breeding grounds, um, but they have shown that they see them on migration routes. And I think even in, possibly in feeding grounds, I can't remember now, but um, yeah. So that is that is one to clarify because they do explicitly state that the normal the normal use of the term escort is not actually how they're using it in this paper. So I do just want to clarify for anyone who is 
doing humpback research and is like, well, wait a minute, that's not what it is. So, um, so yeah, in this, they are defining escort as any humpback that accompanies a humpback cow calf pair. So it doesn't have to be a male. It most likely is a male, but it doesn't have to be a male in the context of this specific paper for the purposes right. of what they're looking at. Yeah. And this is specifically for those outside of the breeding grounds because they're looking them, at them during, basically during the migration route. I think most of these are from. Um, so group includes animals that are within one humpback body length of other conspecifics, other individuals. Um, and then the um, humpback whales, they had a couple different behaviors, bellowing, which I actually had never heard of before. Mm -hmm. uh, and these are loud exhalations when the humpback whales are excited. Really? I would, I'd love to hear it. I need I to know, go, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go YouTube it. I was like, I didn't have time to do that, but I was like, Ooh, that sounds so intriguing. I know me too. I'm like, what? I don't understand. Like loud exhalation. How is that different than just like, you know, like, like our puffing pigs and harbor porpoises. Like it's just a loud mm -hmm. exhalation. How is it different than, than that? But anyway, it apparently is. It's been described in many different papers. Um, so it's a thing. Uh, and then mobbing behavior, which is one or more humpback whales approach a mammal eating killer whale and do one or more of the following charge or chase it or follow it. There was one, there's um, some discussion of that as well. Uh, they bellow, they will slap or slash their flip with their flippers or tails. Um, and then other cues when mobbing, a killer whale will actively flee or avoid them. Mm -hmm. So they're like, Bleh! and they run away. So that is the uh, mobbing behavior. So those are the two main category, main behaviors we'll be talking about when we discuss the results um, and what's going on. So we'll take a quick break now. This is, is probably not going to be an even break in the middle as we kind of tend to do <laughs> um, <laughs> because there's a lot of a very interesting discussion for this, but uh, we'd want to give you a little break before we dive deep into that one. So uh, we will be right back. Hello listeners, this is Cindy, the Research Director at Pacific Mammal Research, and I wanted to take just a minute to thank you for listening and supporting our work. And I wanted to see maybe if you wanted to learn a little bit more about the background of what we do and what we see in the field and other kind of cool information that you can get by subscribing to the podcast for only $5 a month. You can get uh, ad-free episodes as well as these many episodes where we discuss the things we've seen in the field, the stuff we've gone to with workshops, uh, and other little interesting tidbits of information for our subscribers only. This is a great way to help support PacMam, who we are a very small nonprofit, so every every dollar helps us continue the work that we do and provide the information and the fun podcast that we have uh, that hopefully you guys are are enjoying. So if you can think about it, subscribe to the podcast and help support our work, and we hope you enjoy. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Check out our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M, to learn more about us, our research, and the educational opportunities that we provide. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks!